Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Stay Focused. My name is Pastor Jay Morgan. I'm the director of the Appalachia Prayer Center Ministries and of the West Virginia Prayer Alliance. I'm your host tonight, and I'm excited to talk to you tonight. I, I say that every time because I truly am, but tonight is, is, is uh, different. Um, last several episodes, I've done a lot of teaching on, on many things, and I've interviewed some friends, and we have more of that coming up in, in the future. But tonight, I, I have, I uh, think, just, a, just a, uh, a right now word from God that's been burning in my heart this weekend. I, I've, I've shared some of it with my own church. I've posted some about it. But I want to go into a little more detail tonight. Um, right now, today, uh, is May. The days are starting to run together. <laughs> uh, it's May the 5th, uh, 2020. Um if you're watching this later uh, or listen to, to a podcast later of this message, I uh, just want to remind you where the world is right now. We have been in, most of the world has been in a state of quarantine. Uh, the, the world is grappling with uh, the effects of a, a coronavirus, a novel coronavirus, uh, the disease associated with it called COVID-19. Here in the U.S., we have come out of approximately six weeks or so of of, of highly recommended and in some places almost forced uh, shelter at home, stay at home, quarantine. Uh, for weeks, many people have been within the church have said that that they believe that this quarantine is is God's way of doing a kind of a reset in the church and uh, a holy disruption. I've heard it called, and 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 I agree with that. Early on. Um, just within days, I felt the Lord saying that He is calling people. He's given, and and not everyone has got to experience a downtime. Uh, most pastors I know, our ministry uh, workload has increased as we as we have learned how to um, continue to teach, preach, and connect with our congregations and the people our shepherd we shepherd. Uh, in new ways, um, there's been millions of people having to continue working, uh, frontline workers, healthcare workers, just. But there have been millions, if not billions, around the world who have found themselves at home, around the clock, unable to get out much. And indeed, I do think that the Lord has called a reset. And one of the the biggest ways we've been impacted is that nearly. All of our churches have been and have, have not been able to meet publicly um, due to restrictions on on crowds bigger than ten and just all sorts of things. And so, as our nation and parts of the world are looking at opening back up, um, most places that's a gradual process over several weeks. One of the things I hear a lot from people is that they're just ready for things to get back to normal. I hear for, from churches and Christians, I, you know, I'm just excited uh, for things to get back to normal. And, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm not, I'm just not ready for normal. I'm not ready to go back to how things were seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago. I want to explain that to you. See, I believe that we're in one of these moments where, like Joshua told the nation of Israel to 
to consecrate yourselves before the Lord. And I, I have seen this time of quarantine, and even our church, we were engaging in the Lenten season leading up to Easter, even before quarantine happened. And we were doing a time of um, the Lord spoke to us and told us some very specific things to separate ourselves from the world, from the in input of, of a lot of entertainment and media, uh, just to focus on the Word and prayer. We were doing this even before quarantine. We continued doing it. Because I felt like we are in a season of consecration before the Lord. Now notice Joshua did not tell the nation of Israel to consecrate yourselves so that tomorrow you can return to normal. Now he said, for the Lord is about to do mighty things. You're going to see amazing things. So I think that if this is a, a holy disruption, if this is a reset, if this is a pulling of people into the secret place, I think the worst thing in the world would be if we returned back to normal. Now, a lot of people have opinions to that, and a lot of the opinions that I'm seeing about that is just a criticism of even where the churches, the necessity of a public church gathering and things like that. And I think you're missing the point. If you think that's the only reset the Lord is doing is saying to push you out of your buildings, or the, the bottom line is there's a great number of people have been pushed out of their buildings just to sit and binge watch Netflix and filth and pornography and everything else all day long. So I'm just going to have to speak it the way that that I know it is. But there has been a remnant. There's been a, a group who have been consecrating themselves to the Lord to prepare. And we know that the worst thing that can happen is, is that things go back to normal. Let me explain to you the normal that I'm not okay with. As a matter of fact, I, I would say that we should repent for ever being okay with the normal we have grown accustomed to. He did not bring us out of Egypt for us to make our lives in the desert. The desert was transitional. There's a promised land, a purpose and change ahead of us. We must not long for Egypt, the world, nor should we long to go back to the, the way the church world was, that was a transitional time wherein many people have gone to sleep. And the Lord is waking people up. See, I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed to upwards of 56% of, of the people in the Appalachian communities I live in suffering from life-destroying addiction. So I live in southern West Virginia and much of central Appalachia and as much of our nation is suffering from horrible addiction, we have grown accustomed to the fact that 50, 56 or higher percent of our people have a life-destroying addiction. I'm not okay with that normal. I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed to seeing weekly, daily overdoses and deaths in our small rural communities. And I know this is a problem that's nationwide, even in the cities. I'm not okay with that normal. I'm not okay with a, a normal that has grown accustomed to one-third of our people in our Appalachian community suffering from a moderate to significantly impairing emotional or mental disorder. That's not counting the people who have a mild to moderate emotional or mental disorder that they just learned to manage. We're talking about one-third with a moderate to significantly impairing mental or emotional disorder. I, I'm, I'm not okay with that normal. I'm not okay with, with a normal that has grown accustomed 
to over 50% of the children in our communities being having to be raised by relatives because parents are missing. And the parents are missing largely due to being dead or having rights terminated or they're separated from their children due to drug addiction. Thank God for the relatives and the people who step in and raise. But I'm not okay with a normal that has just grown accustomed to this. I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed to one out of every three girls and at least one out of every six boys being sexually molested before they're 18. I'm just not okay with that normal. I'm not okay with a normal that just has grown accustomed to over 40% of our Appalachian children being raised below poverty. I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed to hunger and hopelessness as a way of life. I'm not okay with a normal that's grown accustomed to 30,000 children under the age of five dying every single day due to preventable, largely preventable illnesses and disease. That's 11 million children a year around the world that dies from preventable disease, that I'm, I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed to the fact that 6,000 children a day die to issues with drinking water. 6,000 a day. During the course of this broadcast, thousands of children will die because they don't have access to clean drinking water. I'm just not okay with that normal. And I could go on, and I will for a few minutes. I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed to political corruption and the hypocritical eye of justice, and that's just how it is. I'm not okay with that normal. I'm not okay with a normal within the Christian church that has grown accustomed to sin and lawlessness and rebellion, both in the church and in culture. Rebellion against God-ordered authority and and, an embrace of sin. Now, I can understand it in the culture around me. I'm not okay with it. I can understand it in the culture I cannot understand it within the church of Jesus as being considered normal. I'm not okay with that normal. I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed to the fact that billions of people around this planet have never heard the name Jesus, let alone know what he has done and who he is. Billions with a B. Billions. I'm not okay with a normal that has grown accustomed 
to a lack of power for healing and deliverance in the church. People said churches are shutting down over fear. No, I think churches are shut down largely because we're not even having a good success rate healing people from the flu. And we're just okay with that. I'm not okay with that normally. I, I'm not okay with a normal church world that sits in their pews or the latest trend, don't even go to church, just lay at home in bed, apathetically, sitting in pews pridefully or laying home in bed apathetically, just waiting to go to heaven when they die. I'm not okay with that normal. Why? Because that is not the prevailing church that Jesus purchased with his blood. That isn't why Jesus came. That isn't the church wherein Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm not okay with a normal that is comfortable with, with the, the gates of hell prevailing and overpowering us. And here's the thing. We are just okay with this stuff. And so I hope with everything in me, oh God, may things never return to normal. So what's the answer? The answer, my friends, is revival. <laughs> the answer is a church coming alive and experiencing the power of God. The answer is a church desperately crying out to God, turning from their wicked ways, getting out of their beds, getting off their pews, getting on their face before the Lord, seeking Him until He comes with power like He has all through history when people have done this. That, my friends, is the answer because I can tell you, I can tell you that until His kingdom comes, until His will is done on earth, we are never going to see a, a relief of the ills uh, that's, that torments this planet. Now listen, revival is the answer. George Washington, our founding fathers, saying, speaking about the Constitution, they said, you know, this Constitution is just a piece of paper. Because if people can't follow the Ten Commandments in their own heart, they're never going to listen to this piece of paper. So the answer, my friends, is not even more legislation. And there is a, there is a place for godly laws. I, I, that's all I'm getting into. But every law, no law, can change the human heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. And so the, His church, the church must cry out to God to unleash His Spirit in our world like He has in times past. As Jonathan Edwards would say, that revival is an acceleration and an intensification of the Holy Spirit's normal work. So first, we must experience revival. We must experience this acceleration and intensification of the Holy Spirit's work. But then we must live in, listen to me carefully, we must learn to live as a revived church. 
This isn't a church that goes back to sleep or dies again and is waits for the next revival. We have to learn to live and function as a revival church. Let me give you a, an example of what happens to revival, okay? Well, I would say that revival is the answer to all of those things I just talked about. Let's go to Wales in 1904, when revival swept the island, the, the island of, of Wales, and over 100,000 people, men, women, boys, and girls, in a one-year period in this one island, 1904 to 1905, 100,000 people were saved. Prayer permeated the island. There were hundreds of thousands of believers now. Night and day, day in, day out, hours and hours and hours of God moving and hovering. And let me give you some examples of what happened as a result of that revival movement. I'm going to read some things. Bars, and public houses. What are public houses? Public houses are those environments where where everything sinful was happening, prostitution, uh, uh, drinking, gambling. Bars and public houses were virtually empty because people were fervently seeking the Lord and experiencing spiritual renewal in Jesus. And men and women who used to waste their money on getting drunk, you know what they were doing now? We're not spending on addiction. Let's spend it on drugs, alcohol, gambling, prostitution. You know what they were doing now? They were saving it. They were giving it to the church. They were using their money to buy clothes and food for their families once again. I've read stories because I've studied this revival a lot. I've read stories of how women would talk about for the first time they could actually buy some new clothes for their children with husbands who worked every day hard, but they would gamble and drink away all the money and tearfully for the first time, they were able to pr pr provide for their children again. Stealing and other offenses became less and less. Often magistrates would come to court just to find that there were no cases to try for days or weeks at a time. People who had been careless about paying their bills or paying back money they had borrowed gave it all back. They gave back what they owed. They were not wasting it. This one is very, very interesting. So many of the men in that culture were, were minors, and they, they, they had filthy mouths. They blasphemous with their mouths and their talk. And the minors worked better now that they were saved because they were not drunk or hungover or fighting. But what was interesting is back then in 1904 and 1905, they had what they called pit ponies, which were, were, were ponies who would help the miners bring the, the, the coal and help them bring it out of the mines and the, the miners had trained these pit ponies with commands, but the commands were usually laced with profanity so that the ponies actually learned commands with profanity mixed in. So the miners' mouths cleaned up, the ponies didn't know what to do because they didn't understand the commands anymore because they were void of the profanity. Listen, what am I saying? Revival impacts every way of life. I, my, the last episode of Stay Focused, episode 21, go back and listen to it again. My friend Doug Abner talks about how when revival came into the town of Manchester, Kentucky, how every aspect of life was altered. Now, is that a perfect community to live in? No, but everything is altered, which brings me to my point. Even if this, these massive conversions, even if 
you know, millions are saved. Hundreds of thousands around my state or millions across the country are saved through a great awakening. People say, well, everyone doesn't stay saved and a lot of it's emotionalism and hype or whatever, but just go with me for a moment, could you? Now, I'm not an economist. I'm not a statistician. I'm not a sociologist. But I want you just to imagine with me for a minute millions of addicts getting saved and free. What that would do to the economy. What that would do when money is being earned and spent in useful ways. Imagine what that would do to the illegal drug economy. That even after a couple of years, a lot of people started falling away. Just go with me for a minute. Even if after a couple of years, a lot of people started falling away, that economy would be so disrupted that it would be very hard to rebuild. It would take a long time for that economy of sin to be rebuilt. So now you have an environment where a lot of these things are not even readily accessible. We know one of the, the, one of the biggest pitfalls to addiction is, is the, the accessibility to this or being in environments where most of your friends are using, most of your family is using, and it's easily accessible. What if now the majority of people you know are saved Drugs are not that accessible because even dealers are getting saved. And even if a lot of them are not getting saved, the market is so down, it's, it's hard to get. Can you just go with me for a minute that even if millions do not continue their salvation, if just a, a fraction of those people continue pursuing the Lord, that it will radically alter the turn of events if even for a couple of years this state and nation are within the throes of revival, we could propel us into the church then living in a revived state and permeating every aspect of culture. Now, one of the things I want to do real soon um, is I want to talk about life after revival. It's probably going to be three episodes from now because the next two episodes... I want to just discuss with, with a good friend of mine, Jenny Newbro. We're going to talk about just mental illness and mental and emotional uh, disorders within the church and how the church can respond to that. So I want to encourage you the next two days to listen to that. But real soon, probably three episodes from now, I'm going to talk about how the church should live in a revived state and learn how to occupy the land that God gives us and how things will not return to normal after revival. So do you understand what I'm saying? Can you just go with me for a moment to say we can no longer be satisfied with status quo. We must roll out of our pews. We must roll out of our beds. We must begin to fervently cry out to God to have mercy on us to send his spirit to hover over our communities. And once he does that, we must begin to listen and respond to what he tells us to do, and the world will never be the same again. I promise you that. So, oh God, my prayer is, may we never return back to normal. Mm -hmm.